Happy New Year. God's grace invites you to discover a new you through the love and the work of Jesus, who died to give you give us new life. During his life, Jesus prioritized the love of our Father as he grew in wisdom. The life and the death of Jesus are an invitation for you to grow in wisdom this year too. Hear the word of God from Luke 2, 41 to 52. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submitted to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her hearts and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. All flesh is grass, and, it, and be, its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, the glory of God, the glory of God. Thank you, William. Let's give William a round of applause. It's amazing to me how well young kids read. I mean, that's like his elocution was perfect. Thank you for doing that. Very good job. Um, Happy New Year. Year. We're so glad to see you guys. I think you get a gold star for being here today. I don't have any stars with me, but if I did, I'd give you each one of them. So congratulations. We're glad you're here. What a beautiful day. Doesn't it feel good to worship God on New Year's Day? There's something about like the... The listlessness of New Year's Day when you just are around the house, do you take Christmas down or not? Do you watch football? Do you eat good or bad? Like, I don't know, it's a holiday. But to like come to church and have some structure and some fellowship and community feels good. And to worship Jesus together just feels good. So we're glad to see you all here today. Before we jump into our scripture lesson today, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So New Year's is kind of a weird holiday, right? Like it's totally not my favorite holiday. If I had to pick, this would be at the bottom too. July 4th, New Year's Eve, it's the fireworks for me. I just can't handle the fireworks. We were in bed by about 9.30 last night and by midnight we were like, ah, can they not stop? Um, It's just not, there's too much pressure on New Year's for me. It's like, what is magically supposed to happen between 11.59 and 12 a.m.? It's one minute, right? Like we could sit here and be like, ooh, in the next minute, something big's gonna happen and we could count down and count down from 60 down to zero and boom, the new minute happens, so what, right? Like, 
No big deal. I just don't get it. I also don't feel like the pressure of like starting a new year, it feels too much. Like I'm going to be a different person. It's a new me. It's a new year. There's got to be a lot that changes when in reality, like the calendar changes over every day, right? And like the year changes every year. The weeks change. The months change. So for me, New Year's has been sort of like one of those let down holidays. You know, it's like you've had all the fun at Christmas and Thanksgiving with family, the whole fall build up. And then New Year's is like, oh, we have to start over. <laughs> and I don't want to start over. And sometimes... It's too much. It just feels like too much. But again, to be here with you guys today is a blessing. And to dive into scripture to see how Jesus is challenging us to grow with him. And we're going to see how Jesus himself grew as we look in Luke chapter 2, as William beautifully read for us this morning. So maybe you woke up this morning ready for newness, ready to jump in, invigorated to start a healthier, newer 2023, and that this is going to be your year. Maybe you picked a word or a resolution or something that you're going to do differently to make yourself feel better this year. Or maybe you're rolled out of bed and you wanted to stay under the covers and say, I'll deal with it all January 3rd when I have to go back to work or school or whatever it is, and just lay around for the next two days being pulled back under the covers of bed. Whatever you might be feeling today, God is near. As Mitchell said earlier, God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even though the calendar changes, the minutes go forward, God is always the same and God is near. God's mercies are new every single morning, not just on January 1st. Every single morning, God meets us where we are. No matter how we're feeling, God is the same. Every day we're given the opportunity to live according to God's will, Using his guidance, the Holy Spirit to lead us. We have opportunities for growth in many ways every single day of the year. And our scripture lesson is going to teach us a little bit about that. So if you're like me and you hate New Year's, take heart. God is near. Let us open our hearts to what God has in store for us today. So keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2. Again, over the Advent season, we looked over and over again at Luke, the story of Jesus' birth. We looked at Mary pondering these things when she was told by the angel that she was going to give birth to this child. We were challenged to ponder these things in our own hearts. We looked at Simeon and Anna and how they had waited patiently their entire lives to see the promise of God fulfilled that they, may, they might one day meet the Messiah. And they both got to, to enjoy and experience the fulfillment of that promise. And they gave thanks and they praised God for his goodness out of gratitude. And now we're going to continue the story. So we saw baby Jesus born. Then we see baby Jesus dedicated at the temple and now we see Jesus as a boy, 12 years old. Raise your hand if you're 12 years old. Anyone in here 12? Ah, Ruth. Hi, Ruth. We got some 12-year-olds here. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to worship. 12-year-olds are always welcome in church. So Jesus, as we will see, is 12 years old. This Luke is the only gospel writer to write about, Luke, about Jesus as a child. So this is kind of a, a snapshot that we get that we don't see in the other gospels. And this great story gives a glimpse of the family life of Jesus, that Jesus didn't just go from baby to resurrection. You know, the old joke of like, we celebrated Christmas and then four months later, you know, Jesus went from being a baby to like 
dead and alive again? Huh? Because that's how our holidays and our calendar works. But really there's years of life between when he was born and when his ministry began and when he died and was resurrected. And so we see a snapshot of one of those small stories of those many years of growth in between his birth and his resurrection. So we see this passage um, offers us kind of an intera- a, a glimpse of his interaction not only with his earthly parents, but also a glimpse of his interaction with his heavenly father, God, his father. So the passage begins with Jesus and his parents going to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. This was very, they did this every year. It was common for Jews to go to Jerusalem to, for, and for many of the festivals, the feasts. This one particularly was one again that they celebrated the Jewish freedom, liberation from slavery in Egypt. So showing that Mary and Joseph went to this, they took their son along with them, shows that they were pious Jews. They were following the religion of the day of their, of their fathers and forefathers and they went for the festival, even from a place like Nazareth. They made the journey to Jerusalem. On this particular trip, as I said, Jesus was 12, on the cusp of adulthood in his day. 12-year-olds here, you're in sixth or seventh grade and you're kind of like still kind of a kid, like a child. But at the time, when Jesus was growing up, he was almost an adult. He may or may not have had his bar mitzvah. We're not exactly sure. That happens around 12, 13. And so he wasn't quite a man yet, but right there with the adults, right? Like kind of looked at as you're getting to be a grown up now. And so he was able to go and participate in this feast of the Passover. And there were tons of people there, just tons. Everybody comes to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And it would have been crowded, lots of friends and family members, other Jewish people celebrating together. After a week long celebration, as we know, the feast ends. What happens? Everybody packs up to go home. Maybe you traveled over the holidays. Maybe you went somewhere, and when you packed your car, you made sure you had all your kids with you, right? Anybody leave a kid behind this week? Hope not. Um, maybe in the, in the airports, if you were stuck for hours and hours or missed a flight, you might have wanted to leave your kid, but hopefully you brought them home with you. But as we read here, we see the drama is unfolding. Verse 43 says, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. So everybody's packing up, the whole caravan is leaving. Again, we might be thinking, how could this happen? He stays in this city, this big city, by himself, totally alone, doesn't even say, hey, by the way, I'm gonna stay in a few extra days. He just does it, he doesn't tell his parents. His parents don't realize that he's gone because again, they're traveling, the context of the day, they're traveling in big groups, a caravan, a family and friends. The women likely were traveling in the front with the children. The men and the, and the older boys were likely in the back. It could have been because he was at that 12 year old age, dad might've thought, oh, he's up with Mary with the kids. Mom might've thought, oh, surely he's in the back with dad or with some other family member. And so it wouldn't have been so far fetched to lose a child, right? Have you ever been lost somewhere? It's the worst feeling in the world, right? Whenever all of a sudden you look up and you realize that your parents are not around. I was lost once in a supermarket long, long time ago. And all of a sudden you kind of look up, you're like, how did I get away? And I overhear the speakers, can a, a girl in a pink dress come to the front? And I found my mom and it was the best thing ever and reunited. But the difference here is that Jesus chose to stay. He made a choice. He didn't accidentally get lost. He wasn't accidentally left. Jesus made a a concerted effort to stay behind and not tell his parents. Have you ever seen the movie Home Alone? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. You probably watch it. It's the best movie of Christmas, right? I mean, it's like so good. Macaulay Culkin. Um, if you haven't seen it, you've had 32 years, so I'm going to spoil it for you. It's your fault if you haven't seen it. Um, the movie in the title itself, you can kind of imagine Home Alone, right? This huge family getting ready to go on vacation over the holidays. They're going to Paris. They live in Chicago. There's all these kids and grandkids and cousins and uncles and everybody running around. And they get ready to go that morning. They're going to catch their flight and they miscount the kids. The neighbor boy was counted as the youngest son. Yada, yada. They get on the plane. The mom doesn't realize that they're gone until they're halfway over to Paris, right? And she kind of wakes up and goes, ah! And the kid, eight-year-old, wakes up and is like, I made my family disappear. And he's so excited because he hates his family and he's like not been treated very well and he's not been a very good boy and all these things happen. I mean, I know the writers like really do a convincing job of like, okay, I could see maybe how that happened, but what eight-year-old wakes up after their parents? Right? Like, your, your eight-year-old is like, come on, mom, we're going to Paris. Get up. Like, that just is just not realistic. So every time I watch that movie, I'm just sitting there going, this is just not realistic. Right? How do you leave your son, your eight-year-old? Who here is eight? Anybody eight? Would you want to stay home, like, literally without your parents? And they're in another country. So... Nevertheless, here we are, Jesus makes the choice to stay behind. 12 years old, stays behind in, um, in Jerusalem, and his parents don't know it. So we see that Jesus really wanted to be in the temple. There was a reason he stayed behind. Just to try to imagine for a minute what Jesus was thinking. First of all, a prepubescent boy. He is a man, he is fully human, and he is fully divine. So although he is perfect, he is also a human, right? And feels the feelings that we feel as we grow. And he is in his mind probably so focused on what God has called him to, his vocation and calling in life to spend time with God the Father, that he's just like kind of that absent-minded tunnel vision, you know, don't really know what's going on. Or maybe he knows exactly what's going on. And he's just so focused on what God has called him to do that he didn't think about that Mary and Joseph would be upset or that they wouldn't understand. Of course they'll understand. They know I'm the son of God. They know that I'm supposed to be here doing this work. So he likely just was so focused on that. Mary and Joseph, once they discovered, again, it took him a while because of the caravan situation and because it was a journey away. It took him a whole day to discover that their child wasn't with them. Once they discovered it, it wasn't like they were like, oh, it's okay, he's the son of God. He'll be fine. <laughs> right? I mean, they have a very normal human parent reaction. Any of you who've lost your kids or suddenly they're like not there, immediate freak out, right? Like your heart starts beating, you start to sweat. It's so exhausting and scary and you want to race to find them because who possibly has them? Well, that's exactly how Mary and Joseph respond just like any other parent would. We can so identify with Mary and Joseph in this passage. It took them three days from the time that they left Jesus to get back to Jerusalem to find him. Three days! Three days wondering, did he eat? Is he okay? Where is he? They don't have cell phones. They can't geotext or whatever, find, find your friend. They can't see where he is. And they just have to go back to where they started to see if he was there. 
when Kevin McAllister in Home Alone, when he was left and his mom was on his way to Paris, it took them several days to get back. She had to do like planes, trains, and automobiles. I mean, she ended up riding in the back of a cargo van to get back to her son, doing anything possible to be reunited with her child. Mary and Joseph are astonished that he's gone. But when they found the boy Jesus, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers. He was listening to them. He was asking questions. He was receiving teaching from these teachers. And this would have been surprising for a number of reasons. First of all, how many 12-year-old boys do you know that just want to hang out with a bunch of adults in church without their mom and dad? Nobody made them go. Nobody got them out of bed. They just chose to be there by themselves. This is not American youth group. There is no basketball. There is no donuts. There is no tacos. This is showing us the uniqueness of Jesus, right? This 12-year-old boy seeking wisdom, seeking to grow as he learns more about religion, God his father, even though he knows all of this, he's soaking in the moments that he has without his parents making him do this. This was his own volition and calling by God, sitting with these leaders to learn and grow. Likely there were no good, not very good teachers in his hometown of Nazareth. All the good teachers were in Jerusalem teaching in the temple. And so for him, this was an opportunity to enjoy a deeper level of teaching than maybe he was getting at home. So he took advantage of this time. And it maybe have been one of the first times he was exposed at an age where he could fully engage and understand some of this teaching at this higher level. It probably was very exciting to this boy Jesus, taking advantage of this time and making the choice to be here. Everybody was amazed. What is this kid doing in the temple with these teachers? He was growing up. And the people around him were taking notice. Let's not skip over the fact, yes, we just read about him being dedicated in the temple as a baby. Let's not skip over the fact that there were years until this point. He was growing. It's so easy because the way we read our scripture kind of goes from one story to the next to the next. But to like allow time in there in real lifetime, like the time we experience, one new year to the next, one minute to the next, Jesus is growing and he's engaging. His parents found him. I'm sure they were flooded with relief, but also like a little perturbed, (laughs) like found ya, but what in the world were you doing? I love it when verse 48, Mary asked Jesus, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Why have you treated us so? Jesus, why have you done this to us? Isn't that how we always are as parents, right? Like, your fit is affecting me. Or you, like, you staying behind, you not telling me, it's it's all affecting me. What have you done to me? Why have you done this to us? And Jesus is like, I wasn't even thinking of you guys. I was doing the will of my father, I was doing the will of my father, which any person walking by might be like, well, isn't he your father? Isn't Joseph your father? But Mary and Joseph knew that he meant his heavenly father. Why have you treated us so? Like any mom would ask, filled with relief to find her son, but also, come on, why would you do this to us? 
Jesus didn't freak out. He wasn't panicked looking for them. So you can imagine the irritation that Mary may have felt in this moment. Is he just some punk 12-year-old that just was ignoring his family and doing his own thing and not worrying about what his parents might think? Or was he just so focused on the call of God and spending time in his father's house that he was not distracted by the demands of the world around him? Jesus had such a clear picture of the business that God the Father was calling him to, but he didn't quite maybe realize that not everybody was understanding that yet. Remember, his ministry, his public ministry doesn't start for many more years. So this is still him developing and growing, but nobody yet knows much of this. Mary and Joseph have been talked to and given word from angels before they were, before Jesus was conceived, but that nobody else really knows who Jesus is yet. So of course, Mary and Joseph don't understand. What do you mean your father's house? Joseph is your father. You need to come with us to be in your father's house. But Jesus knows exactly what he means. These are the first words recorded in the, of Jesus' words recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Again, years before his public ministry, he was still just a boy, but these first words points, Jesus, points to Jesus' special and unique relationship that he has with God the Father. We see this relationship played out all throughout the Gospels of this connection that Jesus has with God his Father, but these first words really point this out, out not his earthly father, but his spiritual father this unique, fully divine, fully human being set apart by God to do work on this earth at a specific time and place in history for the forgiveness of the world. And all of this is part of God's plan, right? All of these Jewish people had been studying the Torah. They had been anticipating this Messiah. The prophets had said he was coming and he came, but he was 12, and he's growing, and he's doing what God has called him to do. He's leaving his father and mother, in a sense, his home, his earthly home, to follow the will of God. Fast forward years later, when he first calls his disciples, he calls Simon and Andrew, leave, leave your job, leave your family follow me. James and John, follow me. Leave what you're doing and follow me, just as he has done to leave his earthly homes, to follow the will of God, to do something much greater than the work that we do in this, on this earth. At age 12, it wasn't time for his public ministry to begin. So as a good 12-year-old boy, he followed his earthly parents and submitted to their authority in his life and followed them back to Nazareth. He went home. He could have said, nope, I'm the, I'm the son of God. I'm staying in Jerusalem. This is my call, my will. God is bigger than you. You know, my dad trumps you. Sorry, kind of a deal. And he didn't. He submits back and follows his parents back to Nazareth. They didn't understand what he was doing. He was submissive to them and obeyed them, went home with them, knowing that he had to continue to grow in wisdom and stature. He had to continue to become the man that he would be. God had to continue to work and move in him for the time when he was finally able to announce the kingdom of God is at hand. Several years later. 
He was human and he had to physically grow. He had to socially grow, knowing how to interact with people, knowing how to win the graces of people, growing in favor with God and man. That means that God looked with favor upon him as did the people around him as he grew in wisdom and stature. I love thinking about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature. Again, I feel like we think of him as a baby and then as a resurrected person, right? We never think of him as just a child, as just a person growing, just like we do. Aches and pains, grow, growing pains, whatever it might be, learning. And he was a real person. Growing takes years. So this is exactly the same thing that we're called to do, right? What, how does this apply to us? Okay, Jesus is a boy, he's in the temple, he disobeys his parents, he leaves them, he talks to the t- people in the temple, and then he goes home and he continues to grow. So what? Well, as we enter this new year, we are all called to continue to grow as people. We never reach a point where we have completed the journey. Yes, I am a Christian and I have made it and I'm done, right? Growing as a Christian is a process of change that happens over years and years, our entire lives. There's a great book written um, by one of my Fuller professors called Wisdom, or no, Conversion in the Process of Change. Sometimes we have a conversion moment like Paul on the road to Damascus. Boom, he went from Saul to Paul, life has changed, but yet he continues to grow over the rest of his life as he preaches and teaches the good news of Jesus. Some of us don't have a boom moment. We've always known Jesus, that's my story. I've never not known Jesus in my life life, but the process of change is not different, right? I still am called to grow and change and become like Jesus as a a follower of him. So growing in wisdom is something that we continue to do because we never stop changing. The work of Jesus in our lives, we are created as new creations. When we come to know and follow Jesus, the old is gone and the new life has come. And we're not stopping there. God continues to work in us and through us. We grow as new people when we follow Christ in our lives. And this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a New Year's resolution. Okay, Jan 1, I'm gonna grow better this year. I'm gonna read more scripture. I'm gonna do the Bible in a year. I'm gonna do all these things. Yes, those are all really good things to do. And I encourage you to grow deeper in your discipleship as you read scripture and have fellowship with people and maybe go to bed earlier or eat more vegetables. Do those things so that you can honor God with your body and with your mind and your soul and your sleep and all of those things. But really this sanctification, this true process of change, this transformation by the power of the Spirit is only by the power of the Spirit. Because how often do we lose our New Year's resolutions, right? A day, a week, a month, what is it? Nothing of this world is eternal, but do you know what is eternal? Jesus Christ is eternal. So as we grow in wisdom, as we watch Jesus grow, even throughout his time on earth in his ministry, we can follow him and become more like him. But we must let go of the earthly places, the earthly home to follow Jesus. Some of those earthly homes for me are uh, homes of fear and anger. I live in often a place of fear. I need to leave that home to follow Jesus. The places of moralistic striving to be be good. Are you living in that home that you need to leave behind? 
to be strong, to be better. These are places of misplaced identity. A New Year's resolution has so much to do with identity and with the world around us. I wanna be more organized, I wanna be more fit, I wanna make more money, I want to sleep more, whatever it is, that's, those are all earthly identities. But when we cling to the truth of Jesus, we have placed our identity in something eternal. It will not end because God has promised forever because of Jesus Christ. We have to let go of the control in our own lives in order to trust God to do the work in us to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. This sanctification, this becoming holy is a process that you really don't have any control over. Besides receiving Jesus, the invitation to follow him, saying yes to Jesus, God is going to do the work in and through you to make you look more like Jesus. And it's a bumpy road. Don't get me wrong. There are definitely hard moments. We are sinful, broken people, and we cling to our sin because that's what feels comfortable. That's what the world offers us. That is what we see around us. That's what we're fed from media and people and all of the things that we do. And so it's not just like, boom, yay, turn the light on, and now my life is perfectly fine and easy because I'm following Jesus but it's growth. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Growing sometimes hurts. And it's done in spite of our efforts. Our efforts are weak and sinful. We are limited and we cannot become holy on our own. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that this type of growth happens. So this new year, let's stop striving, right? Let's spend time with Jesus, our Savior. If you don't know Jesus yet as your personal savior. We are gonna have people up here praying after the service during the last two songs. We invite you to come forward and ask questions, be prayed for. People are praying for you whether you know it or not. If Jesus is your Lord and savior, stop trying to check the boxes. Recognize that growth is happening in you without you even realizing it. Seek the grace of Christ for forgiveness when you mess up. Turn towards Jesus instead of turning back under the covers and hiding until January 3rd. Spend time in the comforting embrace of Christ as we grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And God is pleased when we encounter Jesus, when we engage and receive his love and grace, and when we are becoming more like Christ. He uses us for his glory. So eat more vegetables, go to bed early, but more importantly, soak in the love of Jesus. He's offering it to you for free. Let's have our eyes focused on Christ. Let's place our identity not in what's going on around us, but in Jesus alone. Let's find comfort in his love and freedom in his grace. This is a journey God has called us to together. You're not alone. If you feel alone, cry out for help. Say, I need somebody to walk with me through this. I don't understand this scripture. Why? How does he go from a baby to 12 years old? Please somebody help me. Or I'm stuck in the middle of 2 Kings and I can't seem to get through it. Somebody, we're here to walk alongside each other as a family of faith, as a fellowship of believers because we know we can't do it on our own. We will get stuck and we will stumble and we will turn away. But God sent us community, people, for a reason. So seek out this new year, friends. Even if you're shy, I'll be your friend. 
We have lots of friends here. We want you to connect and be part of this community. Let's challenge each other this new year as we grow together in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your love for us, that you would send Jesus, your son, as a fully human and fully divine person to live among us and to teach us as he shared about the kingdom of God, this upside down world in which we live in, Lord, you sent an answer for all the confusion, all the sickness, all the brokenness, all the fear and all the pain. And that solution is Jesus Christ. This year, Lord, we pray that we would release control to you. Stop trying to check boxes or trying to be moralistic people, but that we would let you in let you reside deep within us so that we might change by the power of your spirit. Forgive us when we misstep, challenge us to grow, and encourage us with your love and your grace. Help us to share these good words with those around us and remember how much you have called us to be your people. Thank you for your love. Let these words grow deep inside of our hearts. Take root so that we might be transformed. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.